Hello and welcome to another episode of my Mike and I podcast. I am your host, Noah Alvarez. Just a friendly reminder, this podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. We'd really appreciate it if you guys could subscribe, follow us, give us a like or a shout out, share us with your friends. Before we get into things, I do want to give a shout out to Generic Sports for producing the instrumental playing in the background. Also want to shout out Vince Correa, who produced the artwork that you are seeing in your phone or wherever device you may be listening to this podcast on. Now, just to recap some of the older episodes here on my Mike and I podcast, some of them that you can go back and listen to. Um, a few weeks ago, we did a Endgame recap, where we discussed the plot of Endgame, and we also talk about some of the sad parts, the funny parts, and what's next for the Marvel Comics universe. After that, we had a draft recap and a way-too-early season NFL season prediction show. Yes, we're giving you NFL season predictions in the month of May. Definitely go check out that if you're an NFL fan. More recently, I had an interview with Moran Johnson, Sac State basketball legend. She went from former walk-on to first all-time in steals, first all-time in three-pointers made and three-pointers attempted. She played professionally overseas, so we chat with her about what's next for her future and, and her journey through all that. Then, more recent episode of the podcast, I have on Wim. Wim is a rapper that I went to high school with. He's based out of Orange County. We talk about his new project with Orange Collective, and then we just talk about his journey through the hip-hop career, some inspirations and whatnot. It's truly one of my favorite conversations that I've had on the podcast, so definitely go check it out. Those are the last uh, let's say four episodes. I think those are the last four episodes here on the show. Now, before I preview this week's podcast, I did want to share with you a healthy discussion that was held at my work the other day. It was actually about a week and a half ago. And like I have done so before in the podcast, a lot of discussions at work carry over to either a poll on Twitter or on Instagram. In this case, it was Instagram. And the discussion was my coworker mentioned to me that. When he's eating a loaf of bread or using a loaf of bread, he doesn't eat the two end pieces. So picture a loaf of bread that you get from a grocery store, and there's usually a top piece and a bottom piece that look very different than the other pieces, right? Because other pieces have two faces, and the edge pieces only have one side of a face, and the other side is crust. And he was telling me and my other coworkers that he throws those pieces away. He doesn't eat them. I was like, that's absurd, you know? Like, I know a lot of times I skip over them and skip over them until the very end, then I end up using, you know, usually using the end pieces for toast, but he just throws them all away. And I found it very interesting because, you know, the kids got in, in the conversation at work and they were talking about how some of them throw it away, some of them eat it. And it seemed like it was in a majority, at least at the kids and coworkers at my job site, that it seemed like a lot of them throw away their end pieces of bread. And so I had to figure out if a majority of my followers did the same thing. And so I put up a poll, and shout out to all the people that voted, <laughs> but unfortunately it was a tie. 50% of the people said they do eat the crust, the end pieces of the loaf of bread, and then 50% of people said they didn't. And uh, it was kind of a shame, you know, those, they, shout out to the people who did vote in the poll. It was like around 200 people that viewed it, and only 58 people voted on it. So of those, you know, 140-something people that didn't vote, you know who you are. And you skewed the vote. It could have been 51-49. It could have been 52-48. But instead, you didn't vote. You just looked at it and didn't vote. And so that's why we have a dead-even tie. But yeah, I just thought it was a fun discussion because, um, you know, maybe 
you, you listeners at home, eat the crust. Some of you don't. Some of you throw it away. You know, feel free to mention it to me on Twitter. You can follow me at underscore Noah Alvarez, N-O-A-H-A-L-V-A-R-E-Z, for those of you who do not know how to spell it. But yeah, I just thought it was a fun discussion and debate that I had at work that I thought I'd share with you guys. Now on to this week's show, I have my boy RJ Saunders, who just recently graduated college, uh, Florida State College of Jacksonville. He got his bachelor's degree. And so we talk about his journey because he's a California kid. He went all the way to Florida. And we talk about his journey of going to university in a different state across the country. We also talk about some of the stuff that he learned there and his experience overall as a whole and how he matured through that process. But then we talk about NBA, and that's a large part of this show where we discuss the NBA playoffs as a whole, who's been some of the big performers in the NBA playoffs, who were some of the surprises to even make it into the playoffs, and who were some of the surprise early exits, some of our most memorable moments of these NBA playoffs, and then we break down the most recent series, the Bucks and the Raptors. The Raptors defeated the Milwaukee Bucks in six games. Kawhi Leonard and the Toronto Raptors face off against the Golden State Warriors. That kicks off Thursday, May 30th. So that should be an exciting series that's coming up. If you're an NBA fan, this is definitely the podcast to check out because we preview the NBA Finals. We also preview the NBA offseason. It's going to be a wild offseason. A lot of free agents. We talk about some of them where they might end up and what teams could be in for a major shakeup. We also talk about the dysfunctional Lakers because RJ, he's a California kid and he's a huge Lakers fan. So we talk about the dysfunction surrounding the Lakers organization this season. Truly a fun NBA podcast. Check it out. Check my boy RJ Saunders out. He has a podcast. He also writes for The Ball Out. You can find his podcast on soundcloud.com. Search Off The Bench Podcast. All right, now let's get into the conversation. All right, so for this week's show, I have my boy RJ to talk NBA. But before we get into the nitty gritty, RJ, congrats on graduate graduating college and receiving your bachelor's. How does that feel? Oh uh, man, much love for that. Um, it's a surreal experience, man. I can't lie. Um, I think you saw my Instagram post of me just like explaining the entire situation um i moved here to florida in 2015 mm-hmm. and i didn't want to be here to be honest um i didn't think that there was anything that this state nor the city could give me that la couldn't give me uh-huh. and what I'm learning now is this city and this state is kind of exactly what I needed at the point in time that I was in my life. And I think it's done substantially more than what California could have given me if you would have put me at 20 years old mm-hmm. in LA versus 20 years old here. I think I've become a lot more focused, a lot more driven. And I've been able to do a lot more as far as my journalism journey. I've been able to now write for the ball out, which, you know, um, I've been able to commentate for basketball games, was able to intern for a radio station. And just last week they gave me a job. So, you know, it's been a, it's been a crazy experience, but one that I'm definitely proud of. Um, I hope I've made my family proud. I hope I've made my friends proud. And um, 
graduating with honors was something I did not expect. I was just focused more on graduating. Mm-hmm. But to do what I've been able to do, um, it just gets me excited about the future. Although I don't know where it's going to take me, doing something like this is kind of a big stepping stone for me. So yeah. I'm glad, man. That's awesome that you got to have that experience I mean, you're from Southern California area, and to go all the way across the country to Florida, I mean, that's a whole, that's a huge jump. I I remember going from, you know, Orange County to Sacramento, and I thought that was a far trip, but I couldn't even imagine being in a different time zone on the other side of the country, away from family and stuff. 3,000 miles, and a that's a 10-hour flight, man, and I dread every moment of it <laughs> when I come um back to california man to be a kid from monrovia california man from the 626 uh-huh. it's it's a long ways away and it's just a difference of of pace to be honest with you um la you know it you know it's a lot more fast paced it's a lot more you know keep your head on a swivel because there's a lot of things going on mm-hmm. florida is it's so slowed down. Like I tell people all the time, I stepped off the plane in 2015 landing and I could feel just that fast paced, high energy of LA, just like it sucked out my body. Oh wow. And it was like, Oh God, we're not, we're not in LA anymore. And really it's taken time for me to even get adjusted. Even when I fly back out to California to remind myself, California is more fast paced than Florida. Like you got to come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's, it's definitely taking time, but I truly do miss, you know, my hometown. Um, it's made me who I am, but I think the growth and maturation process Florida just gave me. So, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for both places, you know, to be honest. Now, did you adopt any, uh, any Florida teams while you were there in Jacksonville? I don't, I don't want to say that I did. Um, <laughs> working for um, the place I work for now, 1010XL, um, they're the flagship station of the Jaguars. So I've kind of had to be um, a Jags fan, quote-unquote, though I'm a Ravens fan, and that's a long story in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But the playoff run that Jacksonville made, the city was just on fire, man. And it was crazy just to see what's going on. But this past season with them having, you know, just a horrible, horrible year, the vibe kind of went away. And so now everybody with Nick Foles coming into the frame and drafting Josh Allen. Yeah. That's been the big talk, you know, over the airwaves on 1010. You hear a lot of Jacksonville fans talking about it. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm Lakers all day, man. You know, you know me. I'm a basketball head, right. so I'm Lakers. I'm Lakers till I die. But I definitely need to go probably to a Magic game, uh, and I probably need to go to a Heat game before you know I decide whether to stay in Florida long term or come back to LA. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I I can relate to that just because in my brief time in Sacramento. You know the Kings were a very talked about team there on the radio stations, on the team, on the TV, 
there was a lot of fans that I met and I, I got I had a chance to go to about three to four games and just you know seeing the the culture there and you never would have experienced that and now like kind of like you say with Jacksonville Jaguars I'm kind of like an honorary Kings fan I root for them you know when they drafted De'Aaron right. Fox you felt the the love from the the city and the fans and they're kind of on the up and up even after the trade of Boogie Cousins because there was a lot of distrust from Vladi Divac in the front office but right now they're trending in the right direction and I'm rooting for them I hope they can you know pull it together soon because they they've been a friend especially for them in their case they've been bad for so long and you can hear it in the fans voices you know like since 2000 what and two 2003 they've been irrelevant right so right I, I definitely have like a soft spot for the kings when I when I root for teams like that Right, yeah, that's the same. That's the same thing with me for uh, for Jacksonville. That's the same thing. I have a soft spot for him. Like I want to see him do well. I want to see him win. I mean, because the fans are so loyal to this team. They love their team, even though they've been really bad. They love their team. So, just like you with the Kings, I know I'm a Lakers fan, and you were talking about the Kings, and my head was like, <laughs> "You mean the Queens?" Yeah. But, <laughs> Man, uh, Sacramento, I've always loved, too. I mean, we're not going to talk about the quote-unquote people saying we cheated in Game 7. We <laughs> took the championship fair and square. Right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, man, it, it, it's definitely cool just to go to different places mm-hmm. and be able to take in what those other people feel. Like, you know, us being from L.A., it's Lakers, and nothing else right. as far as basketball goes. Yeah. Then you see, you know, people like the Kings or maybe even another sports team, and you see how much those people are into it. Mm-hmm. And even though you don't come into that place as a fan, you're just like, man, I want them to win. Like, come on, guys. Let's get a win. Yeah, exactly. It, and I never thought I'd do that with the Jags, but <laughs> I've done that with the Jags now. Um I've done that a little bit with the Kings. I think they're a team on the come up. But, you know, listen, as long as I'm a Laker fan, you know, I, I'm always going to hate on the Kings and the Clippers. I mean, everybody's got to know this. <laughs> yeah, of course. No doubt. Now, you mentioned, too, that you were able to broadcast a few games while you're over there in Jacksonville. Do you have any favorite broadcast or favorite moments when broadcasting for the basketball team? Man, there was there was a lot. I think more for the boys' team than there was the girls' team. Mm-hmm. But I think the greatest thing about it was, even from a journalistic standpoint, being able to talk to like the coaches and the players when you see them around school. Yeah, and just get you know their mindset and where their head was at after a game. Um, but let's see. I think the there was a tournament that we had. Um, it was a, like a winter classic, something like that. It happened during Christmas break, and they had a whole bunch of teams um, from like different parts of, of the South just come over and have this classic. Mm-hmm. And um, there was one guy, I forget his name, but I he was a lefty, and I think he was injured. And... He, I don't know how he did it. This son of a gun. This dude, I think, scored like the last 10 points for his team, I think like in the final minute, but hit this crazy 
game-winning shot off glass, gets fouled, makes the free throw. Wow. And I just remember saying, I remember going crazy on the mic and just saying, my guy, this is your life. <laughs> and it was, it was just amazing. Everybody in the stands was going crazy. But my favorite broadcast that I've probably ever done there was this guy named Nathaniel Jack. I don't know where he's going, um, but this dude is a shooter. And he lit us up so bad. <laughs> Dang. And I know for me, they were telling me that, you know, they wanted me to, you know, hype up FSCJ, hype up FSCJ, hype up FSCJ. I couldn't. Like, <laughs> this dude. I remember, because I remember the quote I said. I said, I hope you made a wish on this guy because he's a shooting star. Wow, I like and that one. He was just, he's shooting it from Curry range. And he's coming off the bench. He didn't even start. I remember seeing him the year before, and he was okay. He had scored 12 points the year before. But he came in, like, you know, this year – I think it was his last year, and he's just like, let me go off on a high note against FSCJ. Mm-hmm. And I think he went for like 30. Oh, my God. Shit. That was probably my favorite broadcast that I've done. Yeah. That's the beauty of small school sports. I mean, they don't get the love on national TV or by national sports media, but they still have just as exciting moments, just as exciting players. And, and right. just like you, I was able to broadcast some games and, and talk to coaches and get that feel from a journalistic side and you know, it's it's still every bit as exciting. There's still nail-biting moments, huge thrillers and stuff like that. It was a lot of fun. Right. Because you've done, I mean, you've done it too. I mean, now you're doing, you know, baseball games, football games, things like that, man. Uh-huh. So I, I know you know it just from a journalistic side of just how much different coaches and players will speak to you as much as, you know, rather than if they're speaking to maybe somebody in the stands who's a parent of the player. Right. Um, because I was able to get real close with the the women's coach, and it just seemed like there was a lot of up and downs with that team. But to get her side kind of of the story and then get the player side of the story, it was two completely different sides. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't think she would tell this to – somebody who was a parent of the team. So, you know, definitely just learning that as a journalist, I think definitely with smaller schools, I think that helps a person. I would think so. Yeah. Because let's say you go to Duke, Coach K is not going to be able to tell, you know, the school newspaper as much as he would as the coach at the school that you went to, you know? Absolutely not. Like, I think he's probably going to... (laughs) Tell more to the school newspaper, ESPN, and that may be it. I don't even think you would be able to get a question in. Maybe, but I, I think that's few and far in between, I think, in my estimation. Mm-hmm. So definitely doing the small school thing, I just think it definitely it helps you out just a little bit more, I think, as, as a journalist. Because I want to... Glendale College in California before moving and being able to talk to the players when they see you kind of 
every day and they see that you're writing stories about the team and about them and stuff, mm-hmm. they really will pull you off to the side and give you a lot more information about what's going on rather than maybe a Coach K who's saying, like, I need to talk to him, him, and him. You just be in the room and record. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I I definitely think that's going to help my journalism journey immensely. So the last question, college-related, that I wanted to ask you, do you have any advice for, you know, because every year there's kids graduating high school and then or community college and going all the way across the country and going out of state. Do you have any advice for kids leaving home and going to college or university far, far away from home? Man, um, find your why. Uh, Rico Hines always says that before his summer workouts at UCLA with NBA players, players that are going overseas and stuff like that. And it really hit me because I've never – I've never known about him until last year, but he used to be an assistant coach for the Golden State Warriors. Mm-hmm. Um, when like Monte Ellis was there and I think Curry was just starting. So he always tells the player to find their why. And he says, if you're coming out here to joke around, I'm just going to ask you to leave and don't come back. And what I kind of broke that down as, He's saying, you guys are getting my time and training, and I'm pretty sure there's a lot of players out here that would kill to have this time. Mm-hmm. But here you are getting it. And some of you guys are in the NBA. Some of you guys play overseas. Some of you guys play at UCLA. Find out why you're here and define why you're here. For me, once I got here, my why changed. Um, When I was first here, my why was to get out. Like, I said, let me graduate, and I'm back in L.A. Mm -hmm. So now my why has kind of changed to where it's like learn as much as you can from these people that are in your circle, in your corner, get better, then after that, you know, see if you're ready to go to an L.A. or go to a new market. So for anybody that's leaving and going to a different spot, definitely find out your why. Why are you going here? Why are you doing this? Why are you studying instead of going out with your friends? Instead of having a significant other, you know, why are you, you know, in the library until closing time, you know, people may look at you weird. Some people are going to try to define your why for you. And I've had people that have tried to do that to me. Mm -hmm. So find your why, your personal why. And if you can find that, I say you got about 60% figured out. And then that other 40 is going to be whether or not you want to put in that work once you find your why. So that would be my only piece of advice, you know, for anybody that's out here that is looking to embedded themselves or being just like a person like you and me. We're the first in our family to graduate from college. Mm -hmm. 
So, I mean, that's a why enough in my, you know, in my opinion, that's, that's a huge why. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. I like that really inspirational stuff right there, RJ. Man, you know, I tried Noah, you know. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's get down to the nitty gritty. And you mentioned learning earlier, and we definitely learned a lot in these NBA playoffs. Just to start with the main 16 teams that started in the NBA playoffs this year, there was no LeBron James. The first time we, we hadn't seen that in over a decade. So we knew uh, yeah. we, we knew we were going to learn Wasn't something. It, it, it was kind of weird. I, I think the social, not the social media, the sports media, especially like ESPN and those big national TV markets, they definitely kind of blew it out of proportion. But... I like seeing change. I like seeing new teams. I like seeing the new up-and-coming uh, talent because LeBron James is not going to be here forever. So I do like to no. see the next wave and what's going to kind of carry the NBA and carry the popularity uh, after these you know, stars kind of get older and retire. Right. It definitely seemed, though, that, what was it? They said the first round, the viewership was down mm-hmm. like 30%. Yeah, they did I say that. I think people yeah. just like, I think they like the drama of can LeBron do this again? Can he go to the finals again? Mm-hmm. I, I think that was probably the craziest thing, but I definitely agree with you. There, there's got to be somebody else's time. Somebody else got to have a time. Exactly. You look at the teams and a part of the reason why maybe the first round was so low because you had teams like the Orlando Magic, the Detroit Pistons, some really some teams that aren't really too popular in the the national TV market and and really aren't too good, let's be honest, and they were playing yeah. against much superior teams. So sometimes I felt like in the first round the matchups weren't the best. But were there any teams that made the playoffs this year, this postseason that kind of surprised you that you didn't expect at the beginning of the NBA season? Goodness. Um I was surprised with how Denver did just because of the fact that they were so much of a a wet-behind-the-ears team. I mean, you know, they're not OKC when OKC had Harden, Westbrook, and Durant. Right. And those are two completely different playing styles. But you look at how, you know, that team was just so young and you would have thought a Popovich-ran team would have found a way to beat them. Mm-hmm. And then that would have been the team that you say later on, that team's going to be here for the next 10 years. Um, because they, what, Kenny Smith said that about the Orlando Magic when they had Shaq and Penny. Right. He said, you know, they weren't going to win the finals that year when they faced Houston. But he says, you know, during, I think it was game one of the NBA Finals, he said Clyde Drexler pulls him off to the side and says, that team's going to be in the Finals for like the next 10 years. Yeah. I don't know about the same thing about the Nuggets, but I think the Nuggets really do have the pieces together. I I don't know if they need one more piece, and they probably do. But that was a surprising team for me. But Indiana was too, without Victor Oladipo. Yeah, how they kept it together. For that was the, a very that was a very good team. Yeah, for the tail end of that regular season, you just 
you had that feeling they were going to fall off, fall off, fall out even into the playoffs, but they were still able to hang on. They they finished as that fifth seed in the East, but even even still, I mean, like what you said, without Victor Oladipo, you had players like Sabonis, Miles Turner, Thaddeus Young, guys stepping up like that, and you know, it's a, it's a lot of a lot of props to that team for keeping it together for the la- latter part of the regular season. And a very well coached team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what yeah, I like. Nate McMillan does a great job. And then shout out to Kenny Atkinson with Brooklyn. Oh, Jesus, yes. I didn't see that coming. D'Angelo Russell? I mean, you're a Laker fan. I And just living, oh, in, Lord. living in the Los Angeles market, you just had that feeling that D'Angelo Russell was never going to be anything special. You thought, you know, maybe he was a, another, the second coming of a Nick Young type or, uh, you know, someone who was more big on social media instead of actual That's on fair. the court. But, um... Yeah, he just took over this year for a team that really had no superstar. He emerges as a superstar, and he he may find himself a big payday. He may. Um, I I just think that that whole that Kyrie talk may hurt him, and I hope it doesn't. Uh huh. But the year he had, and Jared Allen's going to end up being a great defensive player in this league. Um, and Kenny Atkinson's a great coach. Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, that, that's a great young core. I know people were probably saying that D'Angelo Russell, like you said, leaving the Lakers and getting traded from the Lakers, that was probably going to be the last we heard of D'Angelo Russell. He would probably stay in the league. He would have been, you know, a solid player, maybe make one or two all-star teams, mm-hmm. but not this early. And that would have been the last we heard of D'Angelo Russell. Right. Shout out to him for just keeping his head in it and his head on straight and taking that negative that he had, which we all know was a huge negative. But he turned that into a positive, and now he's hooping. So big shout out to D'Angelo for what he was able to do. I think Brooklyn is definitely a place that maybe free agents should consider. That's me doing a tease into something we're going to do later on. <laughs> but, you know, shout out to Brooklyn. Um, was there any teams for you? Like you touched on, the seeing Denver Nuggets succeed so well this regular season, and I think a lot of the props go to Mike Malone. I thought he was a great coach, and it seemed like DeMarcus Cousins kind of chased him out of Sacramento. You know how he kind of ran that team, or what what effect he had on that team while he was there in Sacramento. He seemed like coach after coach was getting fired and there was just always conflict in that locker room but to see him bounce back come to Denver and last year they just missed the playoffs correct they they you knew they were kind of a team on the rise but I didn't think they would finish in the top four seeds like they did this year you had the emergence of Nikolai Jokic who's pretty much I, I mean if he was on a big team if he was on a big market team he would be considered one of the top three NBA players in the league right now, but he isn't because he plays for Denver, but what he does is so special. I mean, his ability to pass, his ability to shoot beyond the arc, to dribble and drive, to finish with soft touch. I mean, this dude is a complete package. So watching Denver... Uh, And as big as he is. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, would you say it's fair, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people have said this, but Arvidas Sabonis, 
Like, I think that's Jokic. I think Jokic is a younger Sabonis. Because what, Sabonis came into the league really late. Yeah. But if you watch the video on him when he was overseas, he's doing a lot of stuff that Jokic is doing now. So, I mean, Jokic, I think, I don't think that we're going to see too many more guys like him. I know the league is more pace and space, but for a center to be doing this, my goodness. Yeah, you're right. It reminds you of Sabonis a lot, same skill set. I would even say for a more current uh, player comparison, Pau Gasol, when he was with the Lakers, I don't think Pau was ever, I don't think he was ever as good as Jokic, especially beyond the arc. But Jokic has a lot of power in his game. Just the ability to pass. I think that's what made that Lakers triangle offense so so special during the tail end of Kobe's career, where he was able to get those two those two uh, those two more rings before he went out and retired. But Powell was a really special passer, and he could do a lot of stuff on offense and create for himself too. He really can, and I definitely love it. I love Jamal Murray too. Calipari said he was going to be a good player. Mm-hmm. That's the Calipari was definitely sold on him, and I think there were probably people that didn't. They weren't sold on him because I think he was six three, six four, and a lot of scorers in the league right now are unless your name is Steph Curry, you're about six five, six six and up. Mm-hmm. But this dude's able to get buckets, but. He's going to need to have, I think, a point guard that can get him the ball so he can play a little bit more off-ball at times. But I definitely like the dynamic that they have in Denver. I think they have something going. Yeah, I like that roster, too. The other guards that they had in rotation, from Gary Harris to Malik Beasley, and uh, I forget his first name, but Craig. I mean, those guys in the rotation, they hustled really well. You had even Will Barton, too, coming off off the bench and had some big minutes against Portland. They were a really surprised team. The old, Another big they surprise were. for me, we're going to stay in the Western Conference, and it's basically the other team from Los Angeles, the Clippers, yo. I remember no I remember clowning our colleague Chris Bullock that the Clippers were going to be, you know, picking in the top 10 this year, going to have a lottery team. But shout-out to Doc Rivers. Shout-out to Danilo Gallinari and Lou Williams for kind of willing that team to the playoffs and even stealing two games from the Golden State Warriors back in the first round. Nobody saw this coming. No one. You should hear it. I I know Clipper Darrell, he has his own radio show, and he goes live on Instagram every Saturday. This dude has to be the happiest individual that the Clippers made the playoffs and the Lakers didn't. Mm -hmm. Nobody saw it coming, but Lou Williams, Danilo Gallinari, and even when they had Tobias Harris, mm-hmm. that was a team that was just, hey, let's play. Let's just play, and let's see where this can get us. And to take two games from Golden State, that's a gritty team. I hope that they can stay together, but I heard on the Knuckleheads podcast, that's with Darius Miles and Quentin Richardson, mm-hmm. and they had Patrick Beverly on the show. And Beverly's kind of sold right now. He's like, whoever's going to give me a big-time contract, I'm leaving. And I'm pretty sure the Clippers are focused on KD, AD, Kawhi, Kyrie. So 
And I feel that Patrick Beverly's the backbone of that team. Yeah, he's the dog that you so need on that that's defense. Gonna be, that's going to be interesting, you know, what they do this offseason, man. But to see what the Clippers did and then the Lakers to have that, I don't even know what you want to call it, a town hall meeting outside Staples Center? <laughs> That, oh god, it's bad in Laker land when you know the Clippers are doing well and the Lakers aren't. But the Clippers did this before. They had Chris Paul, had Blake Griffin, had DeAndre Jordan. Mm-hmm. And- Tell me how that worked out for you guys. You guys want to say you're the team in LA? We hang banners, not selfies. In the Raptors. <laughs> so let that sit in for a minute, Clipper fans. And yes, I'm saying it. <laughs> <laughs> no, and it was really fun to watch that Clipper team, even in the front office when they traded away Tobias Harris and Boban. They were able to get back a quality player in Landry Shamit, who I think could be really good for them going forward. They were able to get Montrez Harrell in that Chris Paul trade a few years ago, and he really emerged as that sort of Kenneth Fareed hustle and rebound type player. So, and even yeah. <laughs> even that fellow trade with the, the you know, crosstown trade with uh, for Zubak, I mean, that was a huge, that was a huge addition for them. I think going forward that they'll have a, they become now an attractive destination for free agents this offseason when they really weren't supposed to be even halfway through this no. year. Especially after that. The trading of Chris Paul, the trading of Blake Griffin, mm-hmm. and the trading of DeAndre Jordan, you just thought that at that point, okay, the Clippers are doing a complete rebuild. And shout out to Doc and the team just for saying, no, I, I think we can make the playoffs. Yeah. And, you know, they get in at the eighth seed, and I think they're probably going to be an attractive destination. So definitely shout out to the Clippers, and definitely shout out to Chris for staying with that team, mm-hmm. uh, probably the only Clipper fan I know besides Clipper Daryl. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> shout out to the Clippers, man. Yeah, shout out to Chris, too. Moving on to the most exciting series this postseason. We were just talking about the Clippers, Warriors. They're probably one of them, probably the most exciting Warrior season because or Warrior series because they didn't have too much competition this postseason. But what was the most exciting series in the playoffs for you? So I got two. I have Philadelphia and Toronto, and then Portland OKC, not because of the games. Look at that trash talking back and forth between Dame and Russell. Yeah. I mean... We haven't had teams just jaw back and forth and really just have legitimate disdain for each other while playing in a minute. I don't know a series that we've had to where it's been, you can tell these guys don't like each other. Yeah, I think the closest thing since has been maybe the Miami Heat, the LeBron's Miami Heat team versus the Indiana Pacers. But even then, that wasn't to the level of what we saw in Portland OKC. Absolutely not. I mean, would you want to say Derrick Rose's Bulls versus Boston? Oh yeah, that was a a good rivalry back and forth. But still, it doesn't still doesn't come close to Portland or you OKC. Could even say LeBron's Heat versus Boston. Yeah. 
towards so it was the, a good series too, but that trash talking back and forth and the way Dame ended it, oh my gosh. We're we're forever gonna remember that as the Damian Lillard game. Right. That infamous and photo. He's done that twice now. Like yeah. he did that against Houston to close the series out and then to do it against OKC, but that that shot versus OKC, my gosh, that was just so great. And the way he just waved goodbye, because I know a lot of other players may have jumped up and down and went crazy. He just walked off and was just like, man, see you guys next year. Yep. Dame is a dog. Yeah, he is a dog. I love Dame. He's he's one of my favorite players. Uh, Going to the favorite series for me this postseason, I have to go with Denver, Portland. It went to seven games. I mean, those feet, the, the, both those teams are probably my second and third favorite team when Boston's usually not in it uh, like they were this year. Even though they were in the postseason this year, they weren't kind of expected to go far, and I didn't expect them to go far. But I was rooting for Portland. I was rooting for Denver. And the fact that both of them met in the second round, and you had the emergence of C.J. McCollum. You had Nikolai Jokic putting on a show for na- the national TV market. You had the emergence of... Will Barton and, and having his wacky shots come through and big time moments for the Denver Nuggets. It was it was truly a fun series. They they went overtime a few few of those games and even in Game Seven. I mean the way Portland stole that game from Denver was truly remarkable because I think the whole series it was home whoever was at home won that game. The home team played right. much better and you kind of saw it Denver in Game Seven outside of Jokic that team was you know just young and, uh, young and inexperienced and wasn't really what it really weren't ready to play that game because you saw Murray and Harris kind of not be a factor in those games when you needed them to be. But that was truly an exciting series for me back and forth. Definitely was because I don't think in that in that game seven, I don't know if we expected CJ out of all people to close it out. Mm-hmm. And then you had Rodney Hood go out. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot and about then, you had Terry Fox say, hey, Evan Turner, you can score the ball. Yep. Come on in. And he ends up helping Portland close out a game seven. But Rodney Hood, too, man. Like, Rodney Hood was huge. Where did he come from? We thought his career was over in Cleveland. Yeah, that was that was the funniest thing I saw on NBA Twitter. You know, when George Hill and Rodney Hood started balling out, you saw LeBron fans kind of – kind of come out of from NBA Twitter and be like, where the heck was this last year, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> that, that, that's got to be the craziest thing. Rodney Hood, because it just felt like his confidence was shot in, in Cleveland. Like, it just seemed like he didn't have the confidence anymore. Mm-hmm. And for Portland to say, we're going to take a chance on you, I think he could be a very good off-the-bench player for Portland. Mm-hmm. Then they had the other Curry have oh, yeah. the half of his life. I think that was game six. Mm-hmm. He came off the bench and had like 16 points and hit like four threes. So Portland's on the cusp of something. I still think that they're missing a third scorer. I think like a Carmelo Anthony thing was like too late. Uh, 
I mean, especially, I mean, nowadays, because, I mean, Carmelo kind of ended his career. Right. <laughs> but I really think they need a third scorer. I really would have liked to see what that team would have been if Nurkic was still healthy. Mm-hmm. And you had um, Tanner coming off the bench. But they they definitely need a third scorer. And they're going to pay Dame handsomely. But I hope that you in the draft or somebody says, I want to come to Portland. Because Portland's a very good team. Yeah. Yeah, they're a piece away from really making a, a run at the – a chance at the finals, I think, especially like you said, Nurkic being out, he's sort of like a poor man Jokic, where he passes exceptionally yeah. well. He could do a lot by creating for his own shot. He defends the rim pretty well, and and even with Nurkic out in this postseason, you saw the emergence of big guys like the Zach Collins, the Myers Leonard, the Ennis Cantor. I mean, those three guys. I think going into the postseason, everyone kind of looked at them as their weakest link of the team and sure maybe they didn't come through in the golden state series but that was against you know the best team in the in the league right now but against denver and against okc both those guys all three of those guys excuse me came to play and they really set them apart and were able to carry them on that huge run because lillard let's be real after that shot he hit against uh against okc to send them home he really wasn't able to score at the rate that we're used to seeing lillard score he was able to contribute in other ways but when we think of Lillard, we think of you know him dropping 30-plus points a game, especially in the playoffs, but he wasn't able to do that. And so those other big guys, other like CJ, Rodney Hood, those guys stepped up their game and were able to put some points on the board for Portland. And that, I think that's where they're going to have to kind of find a third scorer in some sort of way because I remember there was a point in time where we were saying they were a center away. Mm-hmm. And we were trying to say... I think when Dwight Howard was kind of in that, he's still a good center, but he's not a centerpiece of your team. Mm-hmm. And we were saying, if he went to Portland, Portland would have probably been a different team. This is when he was still with the Lakers at that point. Right. Now at this, you know, you have the center in Nurkic. If you can bring Cancer back so that you have your two big men, you just need that wing score. I know Rodney Hood is good, but is Rodney Hood really that person that you can say that's our third scorer? Yeah. I don't I don't think so. I think because that was the same problem with the Clippers when they had Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, and DeAndre. They tried to do small forwards by committee, and you saw them sign guys like Kawan Butler, Jeff Green, right. Al Farouk Aminu. And it just it couldn't work out, especially in the fourth quarter. I think Portland needs to find a third scorer in some sort of way. And I just don't know how they do. Because like you said, there's a lot of guys that want to go to big markets now. So let's see what Portland's able to do. But definitely a team on the come up. And I think a lot of people have slept on them. Because national TV doesn't want to put them on. Exactly, yeah. It's it's a forward driven league. I think they need, like you said, Aminu was with the Clippers when they were trying to go forward by committee, and it seems like that's what they're trying to do at Portland. And Aminu's on that roster. They definitely need an upgrade right. from him. Hopefully, you know, I know they don't have a great draft pick, but hopefully they can find find someone 
and find a diamond in the rough that can kind of contribute at that position. That's an upgrade. Hopefully. So without LeBron this postseason, it left that kind of vacancy. I I was listening to the Bill Simmons podcast, and as the playoffs were starting, he was talking about how with LeBron out this playoffs, it really leaves that door open for whether it was Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, or some other third, fourth, or NBA player to kind of emerge as the best player in the league right now because we usually take that into consideration after the postseason. Who do you feel like at this point has been the best, most important player of this postseason? Uh, I mean, I think the consensus is probably Kawhi right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can't sleep on Giannis. I mean, listen, God bless him. Giannis played his heart out as much as Kawhi did. Um, KD in that Clippers series to close him out, what, dropped 50. And you would have thought that, you know, ESPN was saying that he was going to be the person to surpass LeBron. He was now the best player in the league. But this run that Kawhi's gone on right now, man, I read a post, I think it was on NBA Twitter, where people were saying this has to be the best individual man run with a team since probably LeBron James last year in Cleveland. And I forget the other player they said. I think they probably mentioned like LeBron James in 07. Yeah. But what Kawhi's been able to do, I don't even know how to explain it. I'm going to leave it to you. Do you know how to explain it? No, I, I don't. I was going to compare it to the, the 2001 Philadelphia 76ers that was led by Allen Iverson. Kind of one-man show. I mean, really, when Kawhi Leonard's not on the floor, you don't see too much life on that team. And no. you're right. Like, I saw that Twitter post, too. Kawhi's having himself one hell of a, one hell of a postseason. Especially, too, because we thought Kawhi, well, maybe not all of us, but... A good majority of NBA fans, especially how the things ended with San Antonio, he kind of like sat out the year. He didn't want to play. He he seemed unhappy and he kind of like pouted a little bit. And then he gets traded to Toronto and we kind of forget about him. We, you know, we throw Kyrie Irving and the Celtics ahead of them. We threw the Sixers ahead of Toronto, but it seemed like everyone this year forgot about Toronto. Even Kawhi himself didn't play in all 82 games this year. He, he sat out a lot of games for rest, but man, he came out to play this postseason. And what's great about him is he really doesn't show too much emotion. He's just, he's almost like this machine. They were talking about it in yesterday's game, game six, and they were able to clinch. And, you know, he just, he's he's almost emotionless up there. He, you know, he's just, he does what he needs to do. He gets out and he he's always prepared, but he doesn't really show a lot of emotion. He doesn't let the emotions get the best of him. You never see him complaining. It's truly remarkable to see Kawhi Leonard this postseason run he's been on. It, it, it really is because I think the reason why a lot of us just wrote Toronto off is because of the report that we heard about Kawhi in L.A. Mm-hmm. We were just saying he was just he was going to play this year. You know, he may have tried to just turn it on in some games. But he was just he was just believing in going either to the Lakers or the Clippers. Right. And to see him do this, I don't know 
if he's going to stay in Toronto. Although Toronto is pitching him a hard bargain. Like, there's people saying he could eat at some restaurants for free for life. <laughs> there's one uh, realtor I heard on a report. They said a realtor said he could live in some nice condo or penthouse in Toronto, rent-free for the rest of his life if he stayed. Wow. If I was if I was Kawhi Leonard, I'd be like, I'm not going to L.A. for nothing. I, I think that, because Bill Simmons said it too, Popovich didn't want to send him to L.A., and Popovich has always been a guy, he doesn't want to help out the Lakers or any West Coast team for that matter. Right. So he thought he was sending Kawhi to maybe NBA purgatory in Toronto. Mm-hmm. You know, they've tried doing this with DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry disappears every year in the playoffs. Good luck. If you want to go to L.A., you're not going to do it on my dime. You can do it on Toronto's. But this dude has been playing with some crazy medicine. Whatever he's eating, give me two boxes, Noah. <laughs> <laughs> and before this series, before even the tail, like the last four games, because the Raptors were able to win the final four games against the Bucks to finish off this series, I would have told you this is Giannis's postseason. I mean, he went, he went, took care of business as they should have against the Detroit Pistons. Then they had a matchup with the Celtics, and after losing that opening game, it just seemed like they came with a new, different game plan. Giannis was merely unstoppable, and you. And after taking the first two games from Toronto, it really looked like Giannis was okay. LeBron's gone. This is my Eastern Conference now. And Kawhi Leonard said, "No, hold on, just a minute." <laughs> <laughs> and it's just amazing to see, because Kawhi Leonard. What I love about him, he's truly a two-way player. I mean, you saw him in the series guarding Giannis. You saw him guarding Chris Middleton. You saw him guard the best players for the Milwaukee Bucks. And you don't see that a lot from superstars now. You know, you always have the Clay Thompson covering the point guards or, you know, Dame Lillard's not covering the team's best players. So in a, in a, in a world where we like to play matchups, Kawhi Leonard is willing to put his, you know, raise his hand and volunteer to guard the other team's best player, no matter what position he lines up at. I agree with you 100%, because I think the dynamic with that, too, I think with a lot of coaches, is we don't want our best player guarding the other team's best player, because we don't want to hear them whistles blow two, three times. Now my best player has three fouls. He has to sit out. Mm Mm-hmm. And now, you know, the other team's going on a 17-2 to two run, and now this game's going out of the water. But for Kawhi, he's one of the best defenders we've probably seen in, what, the last two decades? Oh, without a doubt. And for him to come off screens, I think for Giannis, if Giannis was beating Kawhi off the dribble, the second defender is Sergi Baca or Pascal Siakam, and they're no scrubs. Mm-hmm. So for Nick Nurse to say, hey, Kawhi, I need you to guard Giannis and trust that Kawhi was going to guard him without fouling. And then also just to tell Toronto, close the gap. Just close it inside. 
if Giannis drives, we're just going to close out, have him kick it out. And if, hey, Eric Bledsoe or Ilya Sova or Middleton hits 3-4-3, fine. Mm-hmm. But once we then close that off and then we say, Giannis, you know, let's see what he does in these next two, three minutes, we'll live with the end result. And I think Giannis, because I want to get your opinion on it, what did you take from him walking out of the press conference? Do you think that was a message to the Bucks? I think it's always hard to enter those press conferences after a tough loss. You know, I'm a big Carolina Panthers fan, and I saw Cam Newton do the same thing, and he got blasted by the national TV media. But imagine losing one of the most important games of your life. You're kind of this player that's, you could say Giannis and Cam Newton in the stage of their career where both of them walked out of the conference. They're pretty similar, right? Giannis is considered to be this player, to be the, you know, the next generation superstar. It's his league now after LeBron's gone. Cam Newton, you had a similar type feel where, you know, he was first, he was a first running quarterback in a while to lead his team to the Super Bowl, and it was going to be right. his league. And, I mean, to lose a, a game of that magnitude, there has to be just some sort of frustration afterward where I think it's it's really hard. I, I know I understand it's part of their job. They have to sit through press conferences. But then when you get reporters asking, sometimes not the greatest of questions, sometimes questions that you'd rather not answer, it's got to be tough. Right. I, I don't think Giannis was sending a message to the Bucks. I just think that's there's so much internal frustration I've lost games that aren't even, you know, ten, ten, uh, half that size of magnitude where I'm just, okay, I don't want to talk to anybody. I turn my phone off. You and, and I, me both. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, even after a game of pickup, sometimes I'll get pissed and I don't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> so I can only imagine what Giannis was feeling. I, I mean, I hope there's nothing internally wrong with him and the Bucks. I hope they still you know, keep that good relationship because I do want to see Giannis stay in Milwaukee and kind of build a dynasty there because we haven't seen that for a small market team in so long. And he was so close to, you know, getting to the finals this year. But, I mean, wow, what a what a turn of events, right? Right. I mean, I guess I'm asking it from this standpoint, and I, I'm referencing Bill Simmons again, but he made me look at something from game – Three, I think that was, three to six, where he's saying, I don't trust Eric Bledsoe and Malcolm Brogdon in the last five minutes of the game. Right. And you saw that from games three to six. They just can't close it out. No. And I think there's been a changing of the guard in this respect. I think you need three-point shooting, and I think that that's where the league has gone. I think that the Bucks did a good job with the Lopez signing the Middleton signing, Elliot Sova, Miritich, and others. But Giannis, I feel, is like in a LeBron state in this regard. I think he's going to need he's going to need a guard or someone that he can say, hey, can you score and run the offense for like the next eight minutes? I'm just going to be chilling on the bench. Because it didn't seem that Mike Budenholzer could really say, I can fit this guy out for five to six minutes and trust that my team is going 
to be fine and hold water without them. Mm-hmm. And that may be unfair to the other players on the team. It's just my opinion as an aspiring journalist and what I saw and have just been watching basketball for the majority of my life. But to sign Eric Bledsoe to that four-year, $70 million extension, when you have so many other guards that I'm not saying are better than him because Eric Bledsoe's a solid guard. I'm not sleeping on Eric Bledsoe. Mm-hmm. But if you have – does the series change with if you had Terry Rozier in his in his spot? If you had, instead of Eric Bledsoe, Terry Rozier – or if you had, let's even let's even say Kimba. Now I know defensively that would change a lot of things. Right. But if you had Kimba, to where Giannis can say, "Listen, I'm going to be on the bench for the next seven minutes. Kimba's in. We're going to be fine." Yeah, that's. I think that if that's probably the message. I'm sorry to cut you off, man. I just think that that was that's the message. Like, you guys got to give me another score. Yeah, and Bill Simmons mentions it in his podcast, too, with uh, Ryan Rossillo, that there's a huge difference because when at the time when Bledsoe got that contract, it seemed like a, a bargain. It seemed like a good deal for him. And it seemed like he was kind of finding a home in Milwaukee because in the regular season, he was balling, you know? He deserved that contract right. from his regular season performance. But Bill Simmons said it best. We're looking at now in the NBA, there's a, such a huge gap from regular season basketball to NBA, uh, to the postseason basketball. And you've seen players like Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, Eric Bledsoe now, players that do exceptionally well in the regular season. They have a system, whether it's the coach's system or how they play. Even Russell Westbrook you can throw in that category where they can win you games in the regular season, that style of offense, that style of play. But in the postseason, when things tie down, when you know ball movement is so important and when defense gets t- tighter you can't win games the same way and and if you can't adapt that's the biggest thing is Eric Bledsoe you know and those guys that I mentioned earlier they they couldn't adapt they couldn't adapt in the postseason and find a way to create and you're right I think they need to find some upgrades because outside of Giannis when he when he went to the bench or when he struggled or when because every time he drove the ball Toronto just created that wall up right there was no place right. for him to get to the even the lane. Even with his length and his long steps, he really struggled to drive. You had no one really outside of Giannis able to create. You saw Brooke Lopez trying to do his best. And Chris Middleton, I thought, played very poorly that series too. He he took a lot of bad shots. but uh, And Bledsoe was nowhere to be found. And you can't ask too much from George Hill. Brogdon, no. he, he's a little young. Maybe he has still some developing to do. But... You're right. I think the guard desperately needs an upgrade, and it kind of sucks that they put so much money into Bledsoe already. It's going to be, I think they're going to need to trade him, and it's going to be really hard with that kind of money and that kind of cap hit. It really is, because I'm thinking, I'm thinking like this. Could we compare, and I, I think the team that I'm going to bring up, I think the Buck team's a better team than the team I'm about to mention. But. It's kind of like Giannis is in that Dwight Howard Orlando Magic 2009 mm-hmm. to where if you have a dominant guy that he does the most of his damage in the middle, if you close the gap, then he then he can kick it out to shooters. I mean, Dwight Howard had the same thing with 
Hito Turkoglu, Rashad Lewis, mm-hmm. Jameer Nelson, and all those other guys. And Giannis is clearly a better player than Dwight, though Dwight in 2009 was probably the most dominant force in the league since Shaq. Right, no doubt. But now if you need a second score, I mean, Dwight was able to get away with it because he was so dominant inside. Giannis is able to get away with a lot of stuff because he's dominant in every facet of the game. Mm -hmm. But the game slows down when you have a team that's saying we're going to close the gap. Boston tried to do it. Boston put Al Orford on them, mm-hmm. and they won game one. Then Giannis says, you know what? Okay, they're putting Al Orford on me. If I drive past Horford, who's the second best defender on this team? Right. Marcus Smart? <laughs> or you want to put Marcus Morris? I mean, I'm, these guys are babies. I'm getting around them. But now when you have a team like a Toronto, or even if he would have played if you would play Philadelphia in the Eastern Conference Finals and you have Jimmy Butler guarding him, he gets past Jimmy Butler. Now he has to find a way to get through Joel Embiid. Mm-hmm. I think he kind of needs another score. Yeah, they have the shooting down. I don't think you have to worry about anything as far as shooting goes. But I think he's going to need that second guy. Chris Middleton, I don't think he's a second guy on a championship team. I think he's a good third option. Mm-hmm, without a doubt. But they're going to need a second dude. And going back to that point you mentioned, the, the spacing is there, but I think Giannis himself needs to develop the ability to hit those three-pointers, or at least long-range twos, because you do see a lot of times, especially in the Toronto series, where he's driving and teams just are able to sag so far off of him and really knock off any momentum, and, and before he gets to pick up any head of steam, he has to change direction because the defender is so far back. And you did see him in that game six kind of chuck up some desperation threes, but that's going to be the next evolution of his game. He doesn't have to hit 40% of his three-pointers, but if he can just if he can hit at least 35, 30, in that 35 to 38 range of his three-point shots, it'll make, a, it'll make such a huge difference where teams will have to respect him beyond the arc and it'll open up so many more lanes, not only for him, but for his teammates as well. Oh, it'll definitely keep a lot of teams honest, I believe. I definitely agree with you on that. Mm-hmm. So talking about Kawhi Leonard earlier, it's hard to argue against him ha- not him having the best moment of this postseason with that Game 7, that shot that bounced four times on the rim and gave everyone in Toronto a heart attack. Everyone in Toronto and oh, Philadelphia... Wow. Uh, but what were some of the other big moments in this postseason? And you mentioned one with Lillard earlier, but what were some of the other big moments that you love this postseason? Man, I definitely got to love – I got to love Durant 50. I just guess because he had Beverly talking to him, and he's kind of looking at Beverly like, oh, you seriously think you can guard me? Like, you really think – you can guard me. Okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. And he's just lighting them up and goes for 50 on them. And, I mean, he he's one of the – I think because he went to Golden State, we don't respect his talent as much as we should because we're mad at him. But Durant had a very good – 
closeout game against the Clippers. I loved we, – we talked about Giannis ad nauseum. I just love what Giannis was able to do this entire playoff run. So there were a lot of good performances. Which performance was it? I don't know which game it was. But the game D'Angelo Russell had to beat Philly, I think that was game one. It was game one, right. D'Angelo, my goodness. He had the year, like, of his life. (laughs) I, I definitely loved what he was able to do that game one. And it definitely gave Brooklyn a lot of confidence. And because I really feel like a lot of people thought it was going to be a clean sweep or that Brooklyn was just going to get one game at home. But to win the opening game without Karis LeVert, who really, he's he's not all the way healthy, at least in my estimation. Mm -hmm. But for D'Angelo to really be kind of almost the lone scorer. I know that they had Dinwiddie and you had LeVert playing, but D'Angelo, that game one series to open to open the playoffs, that was a great one. I almost I almost forgot about that one. Thank you, Noah. Helping <laughs> me out. You're welcome, buddy. No, I, and even going to the going to the first round, back to the first round, you saw both the Nets and the Orlando Magic really steal that game one from the Philadelphia 76ers. And then the Magic stole their game one from the the Toronto Raptors. And that was kind of a surprising move. Augustine. Yeah. Who thought he was going to have a good postseason this year? DJ out of all people. The journeyman. Crazy. Absolutely absurd. No, nuts. You would have thought maybe Evan Fournier. Yeah. <laughs> But DJ Augustine? I, I didn't even know he was still in the league, to be honest. Good grief, man! It was it was it was sad to see. Um, speaking of Florida teams, to see you know Orlando. Not too many people were hyped up about Orlando in the playoffs. It did kind of seem. I, I was cheering for him. And to see DJ do what he was able to do, whatever he was eating, send me a year supply. <laughs> yes, I, I 100% feel that, man. Do you think that now writers and just NBA fans in general, you kind of have to respect Portland now as far as their backcourt goes? Because the running scheme has been... You can't have two guys under six five mm-hmm. being your one and two option. I think they kind of change that in these playoffs. You know, I'll tell you this. I don't know if this is a hot take, but if Curry and Thompson never play on the same team together, whether it was the Warriors or whatever other team, I think Lillard and McCollum would have at least two championships in their bag. I think they're a very special backcourt that can do a lot even with not the greatest of supporting casts in some years. I, I just think watching them play is so they have they play off each other so well, whether it's on the ball or with the off the ball or with the ball. And obviously we we forget about them, right? Because Curry and Thompson are, are the, obviously the best backcourt and they always knock them off or they always find other teams have knocked off the Portland Trailblazers, but every year in and year out, it seems like the Trailblazers can't get over the hump and that hump is 
the Golden State Warriors. And I think what was unfair, and to your take, um, I'm smelling a lot of smoke because that was a hot take. <laughs> um, I think it was unfair because even we were putting John Wall and Bradley Beal over them. Yeah. My goodness. You know, even before this, now you see what's happening in Washington. So definitely I think the second best backcourt in the league has to be them. I mean, I can't think of – maybe you could put Chris Paul and James Harden, but they haven't had postseason success. Mm-mm. I think it's got to be CJ and Dame as like the second best backcourt now. But it used to go the Splash Bros, then you would put maybe Harden and CT3, and then you were saying maybe John Wall and Bradley Bill because you wanted to believe in them. Right. And then you would say CJ and and Dame because you want to say, well, there's nobody else, but you put them as the fourth best backcourt because they're under 6'5", and you're saying no two players under 6'5 can win you a championship. Mm-hmm. But weren't we saying the same thing about Golden State? Wasn't the theme, you can't have two guys who are just strictly shooters win you a championship? Yeah, that's tough. I, I don't think Curry's, I mean, granted, he is the greatest shooter of all time, but he could do so much more for you, too, on offense. I mean, watching him drive and create for other people, but also he has such nice touch around the rim. It's it's hard to label him oh, as a God. shooter. And even Clay Thompson, I, I know like their strongest attributes are shooting, whether it's catch and shoot or shooting off the dribble. But Clay Thompson has a nice post up game and, and he's very defensive minded. People forget how good of a defender he is. So it's hard to label as Curry and Thompson as strictly shooters, even though that's their best attribute. They do so many other things right. so, so, so well. Oh man, yeah, they're they're definitely great. And yeah, there definitely is a lot of more things that they can do. I think what I think a lot of writers were trying to say maybe was that if you have two guys to where they're shooting a lot of three pointers, I don't know if that can win you a ring. And now with the NBA being the way it is, where the three is so much needed, now these guys have taken advantage of what people said they couldn't win with. Now I think if Dame and CJ can find uh, that third scorer, Dame and CJ can win a championship in Portland. Mm-hmm. I agree with what Kenny Smith has said. The NBA is a very copycat league. Mm-hmm. So when Steph and Clay won their rings, all of a sudden it was, we got to find two guys that can shoot the three ball at a high clip. And now I think that Portland's kind of done that with CJ and Dan, though they can do a lot more like Clay and Steph can. Mm-hmm. But if they end up winning a championship, then it's going to be, well, we need two guys under six five. Right. So, you know, it's definitely going to be a thing that we have to see, but they're going to, they got, they got to have to respect Dame and CJ for what they did. Yeah. It'll change the league going forward. I mean, I long in the long run, I really hope Dame and CJ together, they can kind of have a, a run or a year, whether it's somebody's off year 
and they can sneak away into a championship, kind of like Dirk did in 2011. When it's all said and done, we look at Dirk as, you know, one of the greatest players of all time. And he's a player who changed the game a lot, too. I think the same could be said for Damon CJ. When it's all said and done, it'd be a shame if those players finished their careers without ever having a championship under their belt. We'll see. We'll see. So let's go and fast forward to the most recent series that just finished up. The Raptors defeated the Milwaukee Bucks in six games. I mentioned it earlier. They lost the first two, went down 0-2, but they won the next four straight games. What was the most impressive thing you saw from that Raptors-Bucks series? I just think the most impressive thing was that Nick Nurse was able to ask Kawhi Leonard to guard Giannis and say, we're going to live and die with you guarding him. Because like we said earlier, not too many guys want to have their best player guard the other team's best player. Mm -hmm. They get two quick fouls, and then they're out the game for seven, eight minutes. So for him to be able to do that, and then for him to take a page out of Van Gundy's book and build a wall, um... For Giannis, I think that was a great strategy that he did. And for Giannis to shoot under 40% when Kawhi was guarding him kind of reminded me of when Andre Iguodala guarded LeBron in the finals. Now, LeBron still got his numbers in the finals, and you saw it with Giannis. Even in the closeout game, I think he still had like 25. But... It's the way that he was able to get those points. They weren't as easy as they were in previous series. Mm-hmm. you know. But what did you think? It sort of seemed like Nick Nurse, maybe it was because of Kawhi, but it just seemed like they were able to figure out Giannis. And I think that hadn't really been done all season, especially during the postseason. He had his way with Detroit. And he had his way with Boston. And maybe they didn't have the personnel to do it. I'm sure, you know, obviously having Kawhi Leonard is a huge plus for Nick Nurse, but I think very similar to how we saw the Rams kind of get figured out in the Super Bowl against the New England Patriots, I think we saw the Toronto Raptors kind of figure out how to maybe not completely stop Giannis Antetokounmpo, but how to slow him down and really at this point in time with the roster that they had this year, really kind of limit that offense to to where it can't do anything. The biggest thing coming into that series, I felt, was you have Kawhi, you have Giannis. And then who else? And I think it was going to be who was going to come up bigger for Kawhi and Giannis. Was Siakam going to be that guy or was Bledsoe going to be that guy? And I think that Kawhi was able to figure out that he had Van Fleet, and then he also had, you know, Siakam in moments and Ibaka to really help him out. I'm not saying Giannis didn't have those guys, but if those those guys, when they got cold, he felt it. Mm-hmm. And even looking at Kawhi's other supporting cast, Kyle Lowry, he was a guy who really disappears in the postseason. He struggled against Philadelphia but he really had a he stepped it up in those four victories that Toronto had against uh Milwaukee 
especially in game six, like I said, he wasn't scoring the ball as well, but he seemed like he was setting up his teammates better, creating opportunities, and he did knock two huge threes late in the fourth quarter to kind of extend Toronto's lead and put him over the hump that kind of Milwaukee was putting over them. And even Marcus Gasol, that was a player who was really hard on himself after game two, after game two's loss to the Milwaukee Bucks. He, perf- he played a lot better. Maybe it wasn't always with the scoring, but he knocked down some threes and some clutch moments. He played a lot better defensively, and I think he was able to rebound. And whether it was those tip-out rebounds that Tyson Chandler got famous for, he was able to contribute yeah. a lot more other than just scoring for the Raptors. And I, I think that was huge because if Lowry and Gasol don't have those type of series or don't turn it around in that tail end of the series, I think we're looking at you know Milwaukee Bucks taking this series. Right. Um is the Kyle Lowry curse lifted? Ooh, I, <laughs> I don't know. I, it's it's too early it to may tell. Maybe the Kardashian curse. It's too early to tell about Kyle Lowry. <laughs> we'll see how he does in the finals. I'm really interested in seeing that and and how he matches up against Curry and company. Definitely, I do have a question for you because I definitely wanted to get this from you. Does Kawhi look tired to you? Well, I forget if it was in Game 3 or Game 4. Kawhi kind of had that... I don't know if his knee buckled or what happened, but they kept showing it on the TV where, you know, every time he hit the bench, they had that wrap around his knee. So... Mm -hmm. And and he did sit out a lot of games. He sat out all of last season, so maybe he is getting a little fatigued. And let's be real. I mean, his back's probably hurting because he's been carrying... He's put the team on his back this entire postseason. (laughs) But... He's probably as tired as any player would, any any individual player would, that's had to carry his team all the way to the NBA Finals like he has this postseason. And to be able to do it the last two games, because I don't know if people are going to remember this, going into the fourth quarter for games five and six, Toronto was down. Mm-hmm. Toronto was down 14 game five. I think they were down by single digits in game six. But to be able to come back from both of those games and win, you definitely got to shout out Toronto. I know that Van Fleet and other guys were able to help Kawhi in that matter, but Kawhi's just been something different, and he was something different in that series. Oh, yeah. And going back to game six to that performance, did you see that dunk he had on Giannis? My goodness. Oh, God. <laughs> that's going to be on every wall in America. I know that's going to be, whoo, for him to come down the lane like that. And Giannis has normally been able to block everybody if they try to come through the lane and do something like that. Right. He's so long, it's hard to it's hard to get around him. For Kawhi to do that, man. And then let me get your take on this from Toronto's standpoint. Do you have a problem with what Drake's doing? Not at all. No, we saw Spike Lee doing it with the New York Knicks back when they were relevant. I think right. I think Drake's an easy target. A lot of mainstream culture, well, I want to say mainstream, because the mainstream culture does love his music and does love him as a person. But there's a lot of, when someone's that popular, kind of like, reminds me of Justin Bieber when he was at his peak of his career. Everyone just hated Justin Bieber because, you know, he was the most popular dude on the planet. Girls wanted him. Dudes wanted to be him. Um, you know, people wanted to buy his music. And that's kind of the level at Drake is right now, you know, where he's 
all the girls love him. He's performing all across the world, has number one ticket sales. So I just think it makes for an easy target. And what he what he's doing, I don't think it's that excessive. Fans, every team has a super fan, and Drake is happens to be Toronto's, and he also happens to be you know one of the the better hip hop artists in the industry right now. So I think he's just an easier guy, an easier target to pick on because of his status. Golden State just better be ready when they come in Jurassic Park, man. <laughs> I agree. I know, I know Drake gonna be talking a lot of mess to Draymond. Oh hell yes, that's ooh. I didn't even think about that. That's might be the <laughs> that might be him and Draymond, and then him and Kevin Durant are gonna be two things to watch for because I can definitely see Drake saying something to Kevin Durant, and then him going to one of his burner accounts and and dissing Drake on one of those. <laughs> oh man, um, KB fan nine seven four. Forget you, Drake. You're not even I that good. Your music anyway. Views was a bust anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you wasn't. You wasn't that great in the grassy anyway. <laughs> <laughs> hey Drake, take me later. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. All right, let's fast forward to the Golden State-Toronto series, which does start this upcoming Thursday, May 30th. Do you think there's any chance Toronto has of upsetting not just one game, but taking the series from Golden State? If Kawhi's not tired and if that knee looks good, I just don't know, and I hope, I hope that the, the others are able to pull through for us. But this is now Golden State we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And Golden State's been running the league for the last five, six years. Now, Kawhi almost beat Golden State in game one when he was in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. The Zaza game. Right, yes. Let's not forget about that. Jesus. But this is now a whole different thing. Zaza's not there anymore. Iggy's probably going to guard him. And if other guys aren't able to hit shots, it's going to be a long series for Toronto. And plus, you got to understand that Golden State's been able to get some rest now because they swept, what was that, Portland? Mm-hmm. So now, with a couple days rest, I know, I know they're going to be a tough team. But I think Golden State's also going to need Curry and Clay to be hot. Mm-hmm. I think if they can keep up what they did in that Portland series, no question this is going to be five games. But if Kawhi can get the others to help, if Kyle Lowry can give him two games, this is going to be a series. But what, what, what do you think, man? You got Toronto or Golden State? I'm going to go Golden State in five, but you mentioned the break that the Warriors have had. While it may be beneficial for players like Andre Iguodala, who's kind of banged up, Sean Livingston, to some of their older guys, even Draymond Green and the, and the big guys like Kevin Looney, it definitely benefits them. But I think guys like Curry and Klay Thompson, who were so hot, who were so on fire during the Portland series, we've seen it before in the past, maybe not so much in the NBA, but in different sports, when there is such a big gap and a team is hot, riding a hot streak, and they have a, a big gap before the championship game, you do see a team lose a lot of their steam, a lot of their momentum. It's kind of hard to keep that momentum 
up in practice or right. when you just have a whole week off like they the Golden State Warriors just did. So I think I think we could see some early struggles from Clay and Curry specifically in game one or two. And I think Toronto may get lucky and they may have, like you said, that game from Lowry or that game from Siakam or a game from Gasol and company where they just really come out to play and have a strong supporting cast against or with Kawhi Leonard and help them steal a game in Golden State. But I think once Toronto does win the game, their first victory of the series, I think that's the single, like that's the ignition that feels the Golden State Warriors. And they're just like, all right, we're about our business now. We're going to take care of the rest of the games and win, win out the rest of the series. Whether or not Kevin Durant returns or not, whether or not DeMarcus Cousins returns, I think this team is more than capable of beating the Toronto Raptors in five games. I, I, I have to agree with you, even though I don't like Golden State at all. <laughs> I, they, they're the best team. They've been the best team now for half a decade. But I think that what a lot of teams don't do to Golden State, beat them up inside. I mean, Marcus All, he, he has a good post game. Mm-hmm. Serge Ibaka can play in the post as well. If you can use that size on them for, I'm not saying let that be your whole game plan this entire series, but if you say let's go the next three, four possessions where we're going to dump it inside to Gasol, and if they foul Gasol, let Gasol go to the line and he shoots eight free throws, now we may have something going. I don't think you can outshoot Golden State, that's not going to work. Houston's tried it. See where that's gotten them. Right. So I think if you can find a way to say, hey, Mark, hey, Serge, for the next two, three minutes, Lowry's going to dump it to you inside and try to make a move. If something's not there, just kick it out. We'll reset, but we're going to end it with you getting it inside. Mm Mm-hmm. Let's see how Golden State responds to that. I would like to see that. Yeah, that's how Toronto, they have to play their style of game. They can't get caught up in the moment. Even if the Warriors do have a a few possessions in a row where they do hit those threes, they can't try and play three ball with them because they just strictly don't have the three-point shooting to keep up with them. Let's just be real, especially over a seven-game series or a best-of-four series, realistically. I don't think they're going to be able to outshoot the Warriors on any given night, even in Toronto, or even if Kyle Lowry and Siakam and Danny Green are all hot. I just it's not going to happen. They're going to have to play their style of game, whether or not, regardless of what the Golden State Warriors are doing on their side of things. Right, and it's going to be interesting once KD comes back through. Do you do the same thing? I'm asking you, if you were a coach, would you do the same thing that you did to Giannis? Would you tell Kawhi to guard KD? 100%. I think he's your best option. Because I didn't know whether or not you would want Kawhi guarding Steph and then put Danny Green on KD, or would you want to just do it the other way around? I'd go the other way around. Kawhi on KD, Danny Danny Green on Steph, get some length. I think you do have that luxury, though, too. Siakam, given every maybe every other possession or so, you can 
Right. Trust Yakum on Kevin Durant because he does have that length. I don't know how his quickness will hold up, but I think he right. does give you that flexibility of maybe guarding him for a few possessions. But I think the main defender, if Kevin Durant does play in this series, I think it has to be Kawhi. The luxury of Kevin Durant missing those first, at least the first game, correct, of the NBA Finals. Yeah. I think they can have Kawhi guard Curry or maybe even guard Clay and kind of knock one of one of the two out of their game, out of their funk, and really throw off their offensive game plan. Who who's the X factor for you on Toronto? Ooh, I thought you were gonna ask in the series. For the series, hundred percent Draymond Green. You know, if he okay. plays if he plays like he does the way he did in Portland, where he just grabs a rebound and then runs up the court and the defense is not set, and he's just creating offense, dishing out passes, I think this series will be over in four because Draymond Green was the real reason why I think they were able to sweep Portland the way they did. But for Toronto, and this is a tough person to ask us from, but I think it's Kyle Lowry. I don't think it has to be scoring every night. I mean, he was the leading scorer in that Game 4 victory where he dropped 27, 25, excuse me, and he led Toronto in scoring that game. But he doesn't have to do that every night. He just has to limit the turnovers, play good defense, whether against Clay or Curry. He has to share the ball, create opportunities, and every now and then hit a big three. And I think he's capable of doing it. It's just, can he do it consistently? Can he come through in those big moments, really limit those turnovers? And that's, so that's my X Factor. Uh, yeah, this is definitely going to be an interesting series. I I think that people probably had Milwaukee winning the series. But this is definitely different now. I'm definitely going to be looking at Kawhi and just how he responds to the multiple bodies put on him. Because I don't think that it's just going to be Iggy guarding him for 48 minutes. Mm -hmm. I think that they're probably going to have a couple possessions where they have Draymond guard him, a couple possessions where they have Clay guard him. Mm Mm-hmm. And then when KD comes back, there's a couple of possessions where KD guards them. Yeah, I even think McKinney will see. So there's going to be a lot of bodies. Mm-hmm. I think McKinney will see some time on Kawhi, too. He has some pretty good length. Oh, man, yeah, I forgot McKinney as well. And McKinney's not a guy to sleep on. He can get you a couple buckets. Yeah, exactly. The, every player on that team just plays so fluid, it seems like, especially with Kevin Durant gone. I mean, we can trans- use this as a transition to our next topic, Let's say the Warriors do go up 2-0 or even 3-0 in the series and Kevin Durant comes back and say, hey, guys, I'm ready to go. I mean, if you're the Warriors, if you're head coach Steve Kerr, how do you put KD back into that lineup or how much of KD are you putting back into that lineup when you've seen them play so well offensively and so efficiently this past, what, 8 to 10, basically this past two and a half weeks without Kevin Durant in the lineup? Right. Um, I think it's going to be business as usual. I think you can, when you have a player that great, you can just put him into the lineup, and I think he'll be able to fit in. My only scary thing with Kevin Durant's going to be, does he believe that he has to drop in a closeout game, does he have to drop 35 points? Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's going to call for that. If they're up 3-0 and Kevin Durant scores 19 points, I wouldn't care. I've now won my third ring. Right, yeah. 
like so if Curry let Curry get his first Finals MVP because they're gonna give it to Curry. Mm-hmm. So let him get the MVP. Durant doesn't need to prove anything. You're a great player. You won the last two NBA Finals MVPs. Let Steph get one. You want to know who my dark horse Finals MVP candidate is? Who? Draymond Green, if he plays the same way he did as Portland. Do you understand how much <laughs> that is going to hurt Steph Curry? It that will. you've been to the last... You've won three out of the last, what, five or four out of the last five? Mm-hmm. And you didn't get one single finals MVP? I'm not hoping it happens. I'm just saying that's a, that's a player to watch out for if the Warriors do win would this. Be, and I don't disagree. Mm-hmm. But dang, instead, I would have to be looking at Adam Silver. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> You think Kevin Durant is rooting for the Warriors to ha- like have this amount of success that they've been having without him in the lineup? You think that's good for KD, or you think he's rooting against that because it looks bad on him? I'll kind of argue this when I do my podcast. I think Kevin Durant made the dynasty longer. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think... When I see people, you know, saying, well, they didn't need KD. Mm-hmm. Did they? Why did you go to the Hamptons? Why did you call them? Andrew Bogut asked that question and they were in the finals in 2016 when he heard the rumors and said, what are we trying to win the next five, six championships? Why do we need them? We won the championship the year before. Mm-hmm. And we won 73 games without them. So, you put Durant there, Durant gives you another two, three years where you're the most dominant team, because I've tried to think about it, and I could be wrong, but as of right now, I don't think so. Besides Russell Celtics, every great dynasty hasn't been longer than three years. Mm Mm-hmm. You've had Kobe's and Shaq's Lakers. That was three years. Michael's Bulls won six in ten years, but that was three and three. Right. Magic's Lakers only went back-to-back one time. Isaiah and the Pistons went back-to-back, but their dynasty was only two years. Houston's dynasty was only two years with a team. Right. San Antonio never went back-to-back. So he elongated, essentially, your dynasty in Golden State. I don't know if he should be rooting for them to lose, though, but I think he hears the talks, and like we said, he's probably going to go to a burner account and try to, you know, tell all (laughs) the fans off. Yeah. But when I see on Twitter that... Well, you know, Golden State never really needed them. If Harrison Barnes leaves and you just still have Draymond, Steph, and Clay, that's still a great team. Mm-hmm. But that's a team now coming off a finals loss to LeBron. What does that team look like? And we're now just dealing in what ifs. The point is, they 
Harrison Barnes left, and they get KD. They win the next two finals. Mm-hmm. Did they really, quote unquote, not need KD? I hate KD more than the next person, and I only hate him because he went to Golden State. Uh-huh. But let's really let's be real. I think the only person that's going to be mad if Golden State wins would be KD, because now everybody's just going to say what they've been saying for the last two weeks. Golden State never really needed the rent. Then ask Golden State why they went to the Hampton. Because they was trying to beat LeBron James. Mm-hmm. And not only that, they were so trying... Everybody needs to really chill out. And not only that, they were really trying to extend their longevity. Because you mentioned it earlier in the broadcast in the podcast where it's hard to trust... It's hard to build... The stigma in the NBA is that you can't have two guys under six foot five or under six 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 foot six, however tall Clay is, lead your team. And I think this team would have without K D had they lost Harrison Barnes or whether they resigned him or they got somebody else similar to Harrison Barnes, but not to the level of K D, there's gonna be a lot more expected. There's gonna you're gonna ask a lot more from Curry, you're gonna ask a lot more from Clay, and you're gonna ask a lot more from Draymond. And that would wear those players out significantly a, a much more and they could sure return to the finals the following year, but then maybe the year after that they get some they get banged up, right? They get banged up and you know they right. can't, and they get banged up in the wrong time and they don't have that postseason run because Kevin Durant took so much of the load off Curry, off Clay, and Draymond's shoulders that they're that's the reason they're able to extend their dynasty the way they did with Kevin Durant. So it's kind of foolish for people to say that Kevin Durant wasn't needed sure maybe he in their aspect in hindsight 2020 they just did win the finals the year before they lost to LeBron James so yeah maybe they didn't need him but he most certainly extended that dynasty to what it is now to where they've gone to five straight finals and they've won four of the past five and it looks like they're on their way to win another one and I know the publication that we contribute for they were, you know, throwing shots at KD. And I'm just like, I have to disagree mm-hmm. just because of those reasons. I think the only reason that we've seen Curry, Clay, and Draymond all have the postseason that they've had without, with, in KD's absence is because KD kind of took a huge load off of them for these past two and a half seasons. And they right. have so much more in the tank. I mean, you know as well as I do, you see players all the time in the league, they wear down when they're asked to do too much. We saw it with Kobe. You're seeing it with LeBron this year. You you mean, after a while, your body begins to fail once you get to a certain age, and who knows how much more of that process would have been sped up with Curry, Clay's, and Draymond's body, but because they had arguably one of the, you know, top players in the NBA, top three player in the NBA, to take a huge load off their shoulders, it, it will be able to extend their their dynasty that much more even if next year KD decides not to return which I think they're still in good condition because for two years they kind of took a back seat to Kevin Durant and kind of let him did his thing while they played you know sidekick to his superhero role like he took so much off of him you lose to LeBron after winning 73 games what would their mindset have been like if Harrison Barnes splits, mm-hmm. and you don't get KD. Just what's the mindset like? We're going to do this again? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. 
A lot of question marks, that's what it is. Well, speaking of question marks, there's a lot of question marks after this postseason. Because NBA free agency has a lot of is headlined by a lot of superstars this summer. Who are some of the bigger names, the biggest storylines you're excited to keep? KD, I don't. Which burner account is he going to be? He's going to be <laughs> talking from man. Because <laughs> New York, I just I don't get what would be the point of you going to New York. I just don't get it. Now, if you if you were to go to Brooklyn. Now I, I can make a case for you. But to go to the Knicks? I mean, the, the Clippers, people have been saying, they're now kind of a person that's going to be challenging the Knicks. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think the biggest thing for KD right now, and the reason why I feel he's maybe choosing the Knicks or choosing the Clippers, I think the biggest storyline for him, for whoever he signs with not named Golden State, is can he do what Kawhi and Giannis did this year? Right. I think he's still Now you has... don't have Steph. Now you don't have Clay. You don't have Draymond. We're not saying you're not one of the top three, four talents in the league. But the biggest question that I've always had when Kevin Durant won those two finals MVPs and was dominating against LeBron James, could you have done this somewhere else? Yeah. And can you have done it by yourself? I think that's going to be the question. Now we're going to see, if he's if he so leaves, can you now do this somewhere else? And if the answer is no, I think a lot of people are going to bash him for it. And it's going to be unfair, mm-hmm. but people are going to bash him for it. But if he can, then all of a sudden we're going to, is he one of the top five players of all time? And I'm going to be like, hey, calm down. <laughs> but I think that's going to be the hugest question right now. I think the question for Kevin Durant, if he leaves, is could he have done this somewhere else? Mm-hmm. I think from what Bill Simmons said, that storyline in L.A. would be something crazy. That would be something out of a movie. Mm-hmm. Now it's Kevin Durant. Versus LeBron James, who's the king of L.A.? Mm-hmm. That would be such an epic storyline. That's my two cents. Now to touch on some of the other free agents, I don't want to go specifically on each individual player. We can look at some right. of the teams. But another player that is drawing a lot of attention this offseason is Kyrie Irving. He played last season for the Boston Celtics. And it seems like... There are a lot of people that believe he's going to reunite with LeBron in Los Angeles. Do you see any chance of that happening, especially after what happened in their last stint in Cleveland? Listen, Kyrie, come on, man. Come on. Just bring it in. <laughs> bring it in. Come come, don the purple and gold. <laughs> <laughs> All jokes aside, I think two things. Two things. I think that the the storyline of Kyrie needs LeBron, and Kobe had said it in an interview with Shaq, where he said Phil Jackson and Shaq were both kind of saying, "Well, Kobe can never win without Shaq," mm-hmm. and so he said he had to go to a place where he had to figure that out. As unfair as that was, because if you look at the great duos in the league, they never won without each other. Right. 
Magic never won without Kareem. Um, Michael never won without Scotty. Mm-hmm. And I know some people are going to say that Magic did win without Kareem, but they were on the same team. But it's for Kyrie, listen, you figured it out, and you can't win being the number one guy. If you want to team up with KD, go forth and prosper. Go ahead, do it. Talk about flat earth, and <laughs> KD can teach you how to make burner accounts. <laughs> go forth. But if he goes back with LeBron, Bill Simmons brought this up, and I know probably he was saying it tongue-in-cheek. What if Kyrie and LeBron... We're thinking of this all along. What if it was, I don't want to be in cold Cleveland no more. Mm-hmm. How does L.A. look in December and January? Beautiful. Pretty sunny, around yeah. 80 degrees. So why not let's just go to L.A.? Uh-huh. You go to Boston and do what you do and be a great player, make a couple of all-star teams. But we'll we'll team back up together. If they decide to do that, cool. But that's not winning you a championship in LA. I, I mean, then you would have you would have to throw the house at New Orleans mm-hmm. to get AD. You would have to at that point because the writing's on the wall. Then with Lonzo Ball. That if you're signing Kyrie Irving, you don't need him anymore. Exactly. Yeah, him. He has to be out of the picture. So now, well, if he wants to come and don the purple and gold, listen, we'll accept him. You know, Kobe's going to talk to him. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be an interesting thing. There's just so much dysfunction in the Laker locker room. I don't know what you say if you're Kyrie. Like, I think LeBron is really going to have to sell him on everything's okay here in L.A. But other than that, I just I really feel like he's going to try to go to Brooklyn. Because mm-hmm. if he goes to the Knicks, he's dumb as KD is. <laughs> you know, we were talking. you, Kyrie's going where? We were talking about it via text the other day, and I I highly doubt this would happen. But I would really, 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 really love to see him play with Giannis in Milwaukee, just that to would give be so great. Just to give Giannis a, a second score, I I don't think it's gonna happen. I know Milwaukee has a lot of free agents up this upcoming offseason, whether it's Miritich, Brooke Lopez, Chris Middleton, and Brogdon. So there's no way they can sign all of them, and then they just paid Eric Bledsoe that fat contract. But if they could somehow land Kyrie and pair him up with Giannis, that would be so beautiful because that's that's the missing link Giannis needs. And I think at Kyrie's stage of his career, he's willing to play second fiddle. And he offers valuable experience to a guy like Giannis. But I'm I'm with you. I, I'm leaning towards him going to Brooklyn. Staying in that Eastern Conference. I just don't see after all the turmoil that happened in Cleveland where he was you know, willing to get surgery on his knee if he had to play with LeBron again in Cleveland. And you know all the comments that he made. I, I think he's... Done for sure in Boston. There's zero percent, zero percent chance he stays, but I, I think Brooklyn is probably the place he winds up, just because, like you said, we mentioned it earlier. The supporting cast they have, from Levert to Jared Allen, they have some good players on that squad, and I think 
it's an enticing place to play for Kyrie. But let's talk about the Lakers' dysfunction real quick before you know we wrap things up on the show. You're a Laker right. fan, and you saw that this year the Lakers really just kind of fell apart in all facets of the game, not just on the court and the product they had on the court, but from the miscommunication between the coaches, you know, Magic and Rob Palinka and the rest of the front office. I mean, what did you make of this entire 2018-19 Lakers season? God, dog, Noah. You really know how to break my heart, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't. I still don't know what to make of that first take interview with Magic. It wasn't like Magic was saying anything that we didn't hear already. I think he was just trying to clear his name. From what he was saying was he wasn't going to give up his businesses to be with the Lakers full-time. Right. But as a president of basketball operations, I think that there's more than just saying, when you need me here, I'll be here. I don't know the full business and the full background of what a president of basketball operations is supposed to do, but aren't you supposed to be scouting players overseas Scouting players in college, scouting free agents. And really, it just seemed to me they were giving him that position, but he was just going to be there to kind of sweet talk free agents into coming to the Lakers. Right. I think Jeannie's biggest problem is right now, and they've done it for years. They're hiring guys that have been with the Lakers one way or another. Mm -hmm. Luke Walton, Magic, Rob Palenka, et cetera, et cetera. I think they need to put guys in there that know basketball, but not only know basketball, have the certain requirement that you need to hold those positions. Like, if you were to hire a Pat Riley, okay, Pat Riley's built championship team. I'm fine with that. Mm -hmm. But the Lakers right now, it just seems like they're trying to still use what worked 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. it, it's not working anymore. Eventually, you have to change this up. But they don't want to do that right now. And you have everybody making fun of me because my Lakers are trash. <laughs> And it's such an unusual thing to see because we both grew up kind of in that Kobe era. And for the for the majority part of our lives, the Lakers were relevant, not only because of their superstar Kobe, but they just seemed to find really good role players around him. They had Phil Jackson, and he was a phenomenal coach that he is. And they just always seemed to be on the right path. But, you know, Phil Kobe retires, Phil Jackson leaves the team. And slowly but surely, this team kind of has to rebuild from the beginning from ground zero essentially and this is a team that hasn't been able uh, that hasn't done that or had it hasn't needed to do that in what 20 30 plus years they're not used right. to building from the ground zero and then you had the owner passing away and and genie bus taking over and so it just it seems like there's not a lot of qualified people like you said they are just hiring almost like the buddies that have been around the laker organization i mean exactly. i love magic 
I love Magic, and do I think he should have gotten the president of basketball operations? I mean, hearing the interview, he, he wanted all the power to make all the changes and do all the moves, but he really wasn't, like you said, he was more focused on his other businesses because that what brings him in the most money. And, and granted, as a businessman, right. that makes sense, but as a president of basketball operations for a team, you can't be doing that. You got to put 100% of your effort into making the team better, and he just he didn't seem like he had that kind of time or that kind of willingness to do so. And it just, and that's why this team was so dysfunctional. I, you know, they were able to land LeBron James, but all the players they brought in to play with LeBron James, I mean, that was, that was kind of a shit show, you know? Yeah. Well, what was that? I I mean, I still can't figure it out. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but to me, I just really feel like LeBron was going to be there regardless if Magic was president or not. I uh think he wanted to be in LA, but the Lakers got to do something. I mean, we've never been this dysfunctional. I mean, there's always been dysfunction in L.A., Shaq and Kobe, Kobe and Phil, but winning's kind of always mm-hmm. cemented, like, over that. Like, we just focus on the fact that they won. Like, we, you know, Kobe and Shaq had their drama, but they won three rings. Kobe and Phil had their drama. They won five rings together. Mm-hmm. But now you're in a place to where okay, you guys are dysfunctional, and you're not winning. You guys are in a pretty messed up place now. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know if there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I know you want to sign big-name free agents, but I think it's going to have to start at that front office. And I think Jeannie's just going to have to say, listen, I'm hiring this guy, this guy, this guy. Mm-hmm. And then I'm stepping away. And until she does that, I just don't know if it's going to work in L.A. right now. Hey, RJ, I just I want to thank you again for hopping on the show, man. It's been a pleasure. Man, thanks for having me on, man. Hey, keep doing what you're doing, man. Keep pushing this culture forward, man. Just thanks for having the little dude like me on the show, man. Of course. Andy, before you go, do you want to plug your podcast? I know you haven't been able to put up as oh, much yeah, stuff. Man. Uh, off the Bench. It's the Off the Bench podcast on SoundCloud, and I'm doing a lot of writing for the ball out. So just look me up, man. I do a little something, something. It's not on the, not on the pinnacle as my Mike and I mm-hmm. <laughs> with Noah Alvarez. But you know, just giving my opinion on the sports world. And if you guys want to take a listen, man, you know, just 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 type me in on SoundCloud. There you go. Any any plans right after college for you? Well, right now uh, I'm working for the flagship station of the Jags, um, 1010XL, learning how to be a producer. I'm also doing live sports updates, which I'll send that to you guys because I've been doing that for a minute now. Well, I'm into my second week. And uh, just been continuing to write for the ball out and trying to, you know, sharpen my skills as a writer. I'm trying to get where you at, Noah. That's what I'm trying to do. Um, And I'm continuing to do um, commentary for the basketball team once their season starts again. Mm -hmm. And so just trying to get in where I fit in, man, and hopefully we all get to the top together, man. It's going to be a very exciting thing. And I'm excited to see where all of us go, man. I'm hey. proud of what you're doing, though, especially. I hey, appreciate that. Keep up the good work. You'll be there in no time, man. I, I love watching you grow, and I love seeing the progression from you. Man, definitely. I love seeing it, too, man, from you, dog. Every time I see it, 
I'm like, that's my boy. You know, I'm. I, I keep trying to tell people they're sleeping on my man. <laughs> they're sleeping on him. And then once he gets on ESPN, I'm telling you, man, y'all gonna be like, oh, look at. I'm gonna be like, I told y'all back in 2015 that Joe was gonna be great. <laughs> Hey, so, that's man, keep up. doing your thing, Big Noah. Hey, much love, RJ. Thank you. Yes, sir, man. Thank you. Hey, thanks for tuning in to another episode of My Mike and I. I am your host, Noah Alvarez. Just a reminder, this podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at underscore Noah Alvarez. Follow me on Instagram at Noha, N-O-H-A, underscore Alvarez. I usually do some polls, like I mentioned earlier in the show. Hope y'all had a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. Congrats to all the graduates again, whether you're graduating college or high school, and hope you guys are ready to enjoy your summer vacation. I'm Noah Alvarez, the host of my Mike and I podcast, signing off.